Lord, we do honor you. We marvel at the goodness of your gospel. And Lord, I pray that as we open your word, that you would again impress on us the truth of your gospel, the encouragement of your love, and Lord, that we would embody that love and that hope to the world around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles. Uh, can I get that stand? Yeah. And there. Open your Bibles to Corinthians um, 16. And um, for those of you that are guests, want to let you know that we've been in a sermon series on 1 Corinthians looking at it through the lens of consecration. And so um, the last few weeks, we've looked at being consecrated or set apart to manifest God's power and presence through the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And then I want to refer you back for 1 Corinthians 15. Pastor Cody um, from Campus Ministries preached on the resurrection and first fruits back on May 23 of last year. And so that's online, an excellent sermon. I want to invite you to go back and listen to that. And today we're going to be picking up at 1 Corinthians 16. And I want to start actually with 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, because remember, there weren't these chapters and verse numbers with the original scroll, okay? So, dear, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Now about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come... No collections will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. After I go through Macedonia, I will come to you, for I will be going through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay with you for a while or even spend the winter so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to come and spend time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost, because a great door of effective work has opened to me, and there are many who oppose me. When Timothy comes, see to it that he has nothing to fear while he is with you, For he is carrying on the work of the Lord, just as I am. No one then should treat him with contempt. Send him on his way in peace, so that he may return to me. I'm expecting him, along with the brothers. Now about our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to go with you, with the brothers. He was quite unwilling to go now, but he will go when he has the opportunity Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Do everything in love. You know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, 
and they have devoted themselves to the service of the Lord's people. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to submit to such people and to everyone who joins in the work and labors at it. I was glad when Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaeus arrived because they have supplied what was lacking from you. For they refresh my spirit and yours also. Such men deserve recognition. The churches in the province of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord, and so does the church that meets at their house. All the brothers and sisters here send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. If anyone does not love the Lord, let that person be cursed. Come, Lord. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love to all of you in Christ Jesus. Amen. want to just make a couple of quick comments that when he says in verse 22, if anyone does not love the Lord, let that person be cursed. It wasn't a way of um, placing a word or a wish on that situation, but actually he was just predicting what the outcome would be. Because if somebody does not love the Lord, that will be the outcome, is that they will be, this was the third um, level of discipline within the um, Jewish church, and they would be separated, eternally separated, no chance of repentance. And so that's what he means there. And then when he says, come Lord, he's writing in a Greek language, And yet he breaks into Aramaic, which some of the commentators say it's his heart language to say, come, Lord, because it is certainly the hope of every believer. All right. I want to tell you, some of you know this, that Dana and I were out in Colorado last year, last week. I start to say last year. Seems like it's been a year um, last week for his brother's memorial service. And at that service, one of these gentlemen, older gentlemen, got up, and it was time to share. And he got up and he shared. He said, you know, I've been a supervisor. I've been a friend to Doug all these years, and I was invited to come to his home and spend a little time with him the week before he died. And he said, I've been through this enough to know, and I was kind of prepared. I'm going to go. I'm going to share some stories I'm going to open the scripture and read some scripture, and I'm going to pray. And he said, I went and spent an hour with Doug. And he said, that whole time, Doug built me up in the Lord. Doug shared his faith with me. He reminded me of scriptures. And we prayed together. And he said, when I left that meeting, he said, I was so encouraged. What was Doug doing? He was using his last hours and his last words to build other people up in the faith. What is Paul doing in this last chapter of this book of Corinthians? He says that he's in Ephesus and there's many who oppose him. He's planning on coming to Corinth, to the church, But I imagine just in case, he was being very careful 
about what he included. And so, yes, we're looking at the end of a letter, and if you study Paul's letters, they have a pretty typical closing. He'll mention some miscellaneous things. He'll send some greetings, and then he'll give a closing. But if you look at every other chapter in 1 Corinthians, the word choice, the way he structured the original language, it was a masterpiece. He gave such intentionality, and he gives intentionality about this chapter and the contents. And so I want to draw our attention today to three things. Money, relationships, and love, okay? So first, money. What does Paul say about it? In verses 1 to 3, he talks about setting aside money for a collection so that when he comes, it'll be sent to the believers in Jerusalem. Why would he call for that? Well, the believers in Jerusalem had a lot of widows. And so that's a vulnerable population. And so it makes sense. They need help financially. There was also a famine going on in Jerusalem. Beyond that collection for Jerusalem, he also talks about, I'm going to send Timothy And when he comes back to me, send him on his way. And so plan to have some money to send Timothy back. And then also plan to have some money so that when Paul comes, that you'll send him on to wherever it is that the Lord's taking him next. So Paul talks about money. And think about this. This is a letter that he's written where he's called out multiple sins and had to correct them. Doesn't it seem a little unusual that you would end on talking about money after this, and yet he tells us. So why does Paul talk about money? Well, there was certainly a legitimate need, and so he invites them to be mission-minded, to think beyond themselves, and that's always a good thing for the church to do. He also gives a lot of practical advice, and this is not the time for me to unpack that, but there's good practice that he sets up about how to um, handle money with integrity. But friends, it's much deeper than that. Jesus said in Matthew 6:21, and it's also recorded in Luke 12:34, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And the Reverend Shane Willard um, teaches on mastering the art of giving and receiving, and he teaches as a Christian with a very vast knowledge base of the Jewish rabbinical understanding. And when he talks and points out, when God talks about money, he refers back to this Luke 3 story where John the Baptist was baptizing people. Remember, people were coming to John the Baptist to be baptized, and he's concerned because some of their hearts are not genuinely for the Lord. And so he calls them out on that. John the Baptist does. And he says, well, they ask, well, what should we do? And John answers, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. If anybody has two shirts, they should share with the one who has none. Or anyone who has food should share with those who don't. And for the tax collectors, don't collect more tax. Don't rip people off, he tells them. All right? This Shane Willard ties this um, idea of repentance and generosity together. And he says there are 2,016 verses that connect righteousness and generosity together in the word of God. And so what is Paul doing when he's calling for them to, by their own design, whatever they have, set it apart for this generosity 
He's calling them to embody generosity as a sign of their true repentance and following Christ. He's called them out on a number of sins. If they're truly repentant, they're going to align their heart with the heart of God, which has always been for those that are marginalized, poor, and oppressed. All right, we've talked about money. Now I want to look at relationships for a minute. What does Paul say about relationships? Well, first, he names a lot of people here. You notice that? He names a lot of different people, a lot of different groups. Every one of them matter. Every one of you matters. He says that he, Paul, wants to come for a long visit because relationships take time and spiritual mentoring takes time together. Timothy's willing to come, even though I'm sure he's feeling somewhat in trepidation to come because he's young and he's kind of insecure, but he's telling them, do not treat him with contempt. He is one of the Lord's chosen and he's put him in this position of authority. And so Timothy's coming. Apollos will come when he senses the time is right. And here I would just want to point out that sometimes discernment among people There might be some differing opinions, but they're still united, and Apollos will come. All right, the house of Stephanus, excuse my pronunciation, the first believers in the area, and they're a role model. They're devoted to the service of all believers, and Paul points them out and says, not only look at them as role models, but submit to them. When you see people that are devoted to the service of God, They are people that you should come under and learn from. He also talks about the church in Asia sends greetings. Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord, as does the church in their home. All the brothers and sisters in Ephesus send you greetings. Why does Paul take time to name all these folks? Well, they, just like we, are in a spiritual battle. And if you notice, in 1558 and also in 1613, he talks about, Dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because it's not in vain. Be on your guard. Stand firm in faith. Be courageous. Be strong. I think if we look at a worldly example right now, when we look at the Ukrainian people, They're standing firm. Now, I'm not choosing sides or, you know, I'm not making commentary here. But I just want to say, when you're in a battle, you need to know that you're not alone. It's easy to get discouraged when you think you're alone. And that's the gift of covenant community. That through our vows of membership, through our vows of baptism, We commit to one another, to pray for one another, to encourage one another, to strengthen one another. And I want to say a practical example of that is parenting. It can be super tough, right? Whether it's sleepless nights or terrible twos or when you get in that tweener, really awkward middle school age. I'm not looking at any particular families and some of them are gone. But then you've got the high schoolers and the challenges and the dangers that come when they get their driver's license and they start making their choices. And then there's the adult kids with the adult-sized problems. And as parents, we pray for one another and we encourage one another. Examples of this, um, I was gone last week, but I think Heather is organizing meals or was organizing meals 
for the Stanfords because they have a new baby. There's the families of the church here with the young children. When we regathered, we haven't had the nursery open yet. But there's conversation about what do these parents need? Are they getting anything out of the sermons at all? Because they're busy trying to corral their kids. And so it's time now that we're having conversations about how do we open up a nursery again? And how do we do that? Because we love each other. We're praying for the Essenbergs, and they vulnerably shared their challenges and their concern and their prayer needs as they are fostering with the hope of adoption, and yet things are challenging. They're also mentoring one of the young men that's so special to them from their time of being missionaries in Romania. We love each other. We pray for each other. Chess. You stood up here and shared a testimony about a special time that you had with your adult son not too long ago. And we celebrate that victory with you. We make vows just when we watch this beautiful baptism of the family and the prayers for them to have fellowship among the family as the kids are touching and smiling and bending over each other, right? But we love each other. And it's because of the community. It's a covenant community. All right. We draw strength and we draw encouragement from our fellow believers. And Paul paints this picture of mutual support that's meant to exist between believers. And remember, he's painting this picture at a church that's had all kinds of bickering and divisiveness and looking down on each other and disrespecting each other. And he's saying, Watch to this original believer's family, Stephanus, and how they're devoted to each other and how they're devoted to the service of others. Come under them. Watch that modeling. He calls out and names a couple of slaves or um, freed slaves who had come to, um, with Stephanus to come to Paul in Ephesus. And he says, I, Paul, received from them They refreshed me in my spirit. They probably came with wisdom, maybe prophetic words. Remember, the church was full of spiritual gifts, right? And he said, they refreshed my spirit. I wasn't giving to them. They gave to me. Paul's urging us, don't let race or status or gender keep us from receiving every blessing that the Lord wants to bring from whomever his chosen servant is. He says the place of greatest risk and opposition, which is Ephesus, also happens to be the place of greatest opportunity. And God used Christians coming to him at that time when he was down to refresh him and strengthen him. I want to tell you that when we were out in Colorado last week, we were there feeling a combination of thankfulness to be there, but also great sadness and grief in our loss. And we went and we found a church on Sunday morning. And we had visited that church years ago. Um, It was a church plant. They're celebrating their 10th year of being together. New Life Church, downtown Colorado Springs. And I just can't tell you what a blessing it was. Well, I am telling you. I'm telling you, it was a total blessing to be at a church where there's friendly people, they're smiling, they're worshiping the Lord. When it's greeting time, they turn around, hi, I'm Bob, I'm Corey, I'm Samantha, whoever they were. They greeted us, they shook our hands, 
after church, I went down the hall a minute. I come back. Some guy that I don't know has his hand on Dane's shoulder. He's over by the discipleship booth, and he's praying for Dane to have the words to say for his brother's memorial service the next day. Oh, it was such a blessing, such an encouragement to be with other believers. Friends, whether far or near, such an encouragement when we're believers. We see you all regularly, whether it's within your friendships, whether it's within the relationships of this church. And I know that some of you are guests and friends from other churches and we've heard how you pray together, how you encourage one another, and it happens here too. And we're so grateful that God puts us in community. The world, I don't think, has ever been a lonelier place. And yet, a body of believers is a mark, it's a sign of the new creation that is fully coming when Jesus returns. But we're a signpost, and Paul says, by naming all these individuals, He draws attention and he says, this fellowship is made possible by the work of the Holy Spirit among you. And I really think he wants to like name this for them and name this for us. Let's value this. Let's nurture this as the gift that it is. Now, love. What does Paul say about love? Nearing the end of his letter, Paul says these words in verse 14. Do everything in love. And why would he need to say that? Well, because they had been doing a lot of things that weren't loving, right? They were dishonoring each other. They weren't, like, keeping any food for the um, Lord's Supper. The rich people were going ahead and eating and getting drunk, and the poor people that arrived later didn't have anything to eat. There were marital affairs. There was immorality and singleness. There was incest. There was classism, gender and economic bias. There was all kinds of stuff, including competitiveness, Pride, failure to honor each other's voices and gifts. And Paul says, do church in love. Do leadership in love. Do the Lord's Supper in love. Use your gifts, not for your glory, but to build up the church. Do everything in love. That means do conflicts in love and do church discipline in love. And what does that even mean? Well, it means agape. And if you remember what agape meant, it means I'm inclined towards. Really, that's what love means. So loving the Lord, I'm inclined towards him. Why do I love him? Because he was first inclined towards me. Why do I love somebody else? Because the Lord loves them, and so I'm inclined toward them. And that mutual inclined towards me, love, commitment, covenant, Paul loves them enough to confront their sin and call them to the right living. And for a recipient that's being called out, I want to read Hebrews 12:11. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. But later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. Now, for those, not the ones that are receiving correction or discipline, but for the ones that are giving it, like parents. Derek and Heather, I bet sometimes you have to discipline, yeah? Every parent that's in the room, I bet you've had to discipline. Proverbs 13:24 says, Whoever spares the rod hates their children, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. 
All right, spiritual leaders in the room, office bearers, small group leaders, campus ministry leaders. Um, Hebrews thirteen seventeen says this, Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be no benefit. Remember, office bearers, leaders, we have to give an account. Are we going to have the hard conversations in love and inclined towards one another? Paul says this, and it seems kind of random, give each other like a holy kiss. Well, what in the world, and why does he say that? Well, in their culture, the kiss was a sign of their mutual respect and love in the Lord. And so for our culture, it might be a handshake, or it might be at Gold Avenue, it would probably be a hug. All right. Why does Paul declare his love as the last thing he says in this letter? People need to know how much you love them and care before they need to know how much you know. And a lot of times, if we know that people love us, then we'll trust what they say. He said a lot of difficult things. He said them the truth in love, but he said some hard things. And he's saying, I love you. And you know, he starts this letter with giving thanks for them. And he closes the letter declaring his love for them. He models so well how to have a hard conversation. There's bad examples in the world of conflict. Maybe some of you have either watched the Oscars or you've read the headlines afterwards about a rude comment that was made by Chris Rock and how that Will Smith went up and slapped him. Well, Will Smith has apologized since that time. But, you know, his son tweeted and said, that's the way our family rolls. What parents do models and how do do we have a good or bad influence on how to handle conflict How many of us, maybe even in Christian homes, have had parents or grandparents where conflicts ended in violence? I can think of a bad influence or a bad example of conflict within the church. I was asked while we were out in Colorado, is your church a cookie or a donut church? I I, I was kind of like, what? You know, cookie or donut. And anyway, and um, I didn't even know what they were talking about because we got rid of our, we haven't had refreshments for a while since COVID, right? So I wasn't thinking about that. But unfortunately, church fights can start over little things. Cookies or donuts. Does the church start at the service at 9 or 9.30 or 11? These are not morally right or wrong decisions, These are personal preference. And yet, I wonder how many churches in our city, first CRC, second CRC, third CRC, or first, second, or third Baptist, or first, second, or third Pres, or whatever it would be, did they start out of vision? Or did they start out of conflict? Friends, how many of us have watched people disengage, and instead of keeping their love on and inclined toward each other, When there's a conflict, instead of asking questions and maybe even that mutual submission, they've parted ways harshly, sharply. I want to tell you a good example. It started with a sad story again at his brother's funeral. 
but a man stands up and said, I got divorced. And he said, and then I met Doug, and they invited me to live with them because I didn't have any place to live. And he said, and then I started meeting with Doug to study the Bible, and then I watched how their marriage went between Doug and Janie. And he said, I thank God for the example that I never had in my home. But he said, what I'm standing up to tell you is that I remarried my wife, and we're back after seven years of divorce. And so what does Paul want to teach us? Keep your love on. Keep your covenants. Keep asking the Lord to help you love and to do everything in love, to embody love because God is love and we're representing him in the world. I want to close by asking you this, a few questions as we've thought about money, relationships, and love. Number one, do I view money as something to steward for God's kingdom? And am I generous with the money that I have? Number two, do I value the members of the body of Christ? And do I honor relationships that God has given me through this local church and the broader church? Number three, do I do everything, even discipline and conflict, in love? Number four, do I lean on God and others expecting to be blessed by people who are different than I am? And number five, is there any Christian that I would currently have a hard time giving a handshake, a hug, or holy kiss? Friends, if your answer to any of those is not the answer that you wish it was, I want to encourage you, Not to accuse or condemn or beat yourself up about not being loving if it's been part of your problem and you recognize that. There is a place for repentance and saying you're sorry. But I think we love because he first loved us. And we can go like the prayer that Paul prayed in Ephesians, that the Lord would open our minds and our hearts to know the breadth and the depth and the height and the width of his love. And ask the Lord to reveal his love more and more to you. Because it's as we receive his love that we in turn will embody his love. And so hear these words that Paul actually opened this book of 1 Corinthians with. As the closing words of this message. To the church of God in Corinth. And I would add to the church here gathered at Gold Avenue this morning. To those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.